The very work that Jesus does in us produces in us transformation. We say here almost every week, you're welcome to come as you are. And we believe we'd be doing a huge disservice to tell you to stay that way. I don't mean you're imperfect and and like a total hot mess right now, though maybe you are, that's okay. No, but I mean Jesus is big enough and great enough that however you come in, he wants to do something new with you. This fruit of righteousness is described elsewhere as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you lacking any of those things? Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, And that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. It is so good to be here with you today. For those of you who do not know who I am, my name is Adam, and I'm the pastor here at The Point. For those of you who do know who I am, my name is also still Adam, and I'm also still the pastor at this church. It's very good to be here at the start of a new year. It's nice to look out and see people I haven't seen in a while because you've been quarantining for the holidays and you've been busy with just this crazy world of 2020. And uh, it's nice to look out and see people I've never met before other than maybe a brief hello today. So for all of you, thank you for being here. And for those of you on live stream, I don't get to see you, but I'm glad you're here as well. Especially, I want to say uh, hello to Dan and Cass Byler. Last year, we got to end 2020. Last week, actually. I guess last year, both. Uh, Last week, we got to end 2020 doing the most 2020 thing I could think of. A virtual baptism of Harlow Ray Byler. So that was pretty fun after church. Uh, He did the baptism. Dan did. But I got to talk with them and share some scripture and pray. It was pretty awesome. Well, I'm glad you're here. Today, as we kick off this new year, we are kicking off a series called Philippians. I mentioned last week that part of why we're going to look at Philippians is one of my favorite verses. Actually, several of my favorite verses are found in this book. But there's one that's coming in a few chapters that talks about forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. Looking not to our past and where we've been, but to the promises of God in front of us. And I thought, And all that 2020 was, surely that's how we should begin this year. Forgetting all that's behind and looking forward to the promises ahead. Pressing on in the midst of this busy and exhausting and stressful world to a place of joy. In fact, throughout this book of Philippians, Paul, the author, he regularly writes about joy. The joy that we can find in God, the joy that we can find in tough circumstances. This whole book is filled with the promise of joy, but it's also filled with the promise of joy found in the least expected place, suffering. How do we as the church embrace suffering in a way that is healthy and that is positive 
where we can find joy even when everything falls apart. So this is where we're going to be for the next several weeks in this book. Uh, I'm not sure how long we'll be here. I initially thought maybe five weeks, and now the more I dive into it, the more it's just filled with really good stuff, and I can't wait to talk more and discover it more together with you. So maybe we'll be here longer. We'll see. But today, as we begin, we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 1. If you brought your own Bible, you're welcome to flip open to Philippians chapter 1. If you brought a phone or any other piece of technology that has a Bible app on it, you're welcome to use that. Uh, Or you're just welcome to listen and hear this word, whichever you'd prefer. Philippians chapter 1 begins, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So before we go too far into this book, let me just set the stage. Paul is writing to this small group of people who live in a city called Philippi. Philippi was a uh, Roman colony. And the colonies were few, but they were planted for one purpose usually for the purpose of teaching the entire surrounding community how to be Roman, teaching the culture and the gods they worshipped, teaching all about who Caesar, their Lord was, teaching everything that was important to Romans to the people surrounding. Now, Philippi, in particular, was planted as this colony established mostly with vets, retired military, people who had served for Caesar, who had fought and died. Well, they hadn't died, but they'd been around those who had died. Those who were most loyal to the empire. And it's in this context that Paul is writing a letter to the church in this place that is completely and fully loyal to the emperor. And over the course of this book, we're going to see that Paul has a lot to say that challenges that. There's a lot that he says that actually puts them in great danger. If they read the words of Paul and they take them seriously, they might be in a lot of trouble. I think you and I can be as well, but we'll get there. Philippi, this Roman colony, something that was so unique about colonies is they were actually given citizenship, unlike all the rest of Rome. If you know anything about the ancient world, Uh, Rome was at the time the largest empire this world had ever seen. It it spread all the way from England to India. Imagine back in the days before cell phones and the internet and even vehicles controlling this huge empire from England to India. And so what they did was they led and they controlled with this thing called Pax Romana, which is Latin for the peace of Rome. Essentially, they would go and they'd conquer an area and say, we don't want violence and war and fighting, so here's the deal. If you submit and surrender to us, you can continue to live your life exactly the way you lived it. No change is necessary, though subtly they were actively working to change the way you thought and lived. And you can just continue to be who you are, but we will give you peace and protect you from your enemies and guarantee that life goes well as long as you pay us tribute and support us and pay taxes and just be a good citizen and then it'll be okay. But most people weren't citizens. Citizenship was a special privilege. You see, citizens got to avoid paying taxes. And not only this, citizens didn't pay taxes They were given a special privilege that if they were ever tried for anything, if they were ever accused of any kind of crime, they had a special status that guaranteed them a trial and not just a verdict. 
Being a citizen was a really wonderful thing. And so this peace of Rome caused the whole area to prosper. Economically, it was thriving. Religiously, they could worship whoever they wanted. Mostly, it was encouraged to worship religious gods, especially Caesar, the man in charge, the emperor. But other than that, you could also worship whoever else. And by and large, things went relatively well for the people in Philippi. Paul, he begins this letter, a personal letter to people he knows and he cares about. And he begins it with verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've read any of Paul's letters, you know he often begins with this phrase, grace and peace to you. But there's something for the people in Philippi that makes this a little more pointed. You see, under this Pax Romana, there was this understanding that the peace you experienced and the peace that you had only came from Caesar, who was also their Lord. Caesar, who was also their God. And Paul, he writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Which right off the bat for the people hearing would have been a little bit uncomfortable. Not because they didn't agree with it, not because they didn't believe in it. They believed Jesus was our Lord, but it would have been uncomfortable because if that had, been, had gotten out and people began to think that they thought Jesus was Lord, not Caesar, it could have meant great suffering. In fact, Paul, how he came to know the people in Philippi, we see this in Acts chapter 16. Paul, he encounters the people in Philippi for the first time. And what happens is as he's going to Philippi, he's looking for the place of prayer where he would normally go so that he could tell them about Jesus. And as he's looking for the place of prayer, he meets a woman named Lydia, who then hears all that he's saying, says, I, I believe in all of this. And she gets baptized. And she says, if, if there's any indication that I actually believe, will you just come and spend the night at my house tonight? Can I show you hospitality and can I care for you? And so Paul and his, his travelers, his companions, they stay at Lydia's house and the next day they're going to the place of prayer and on the way, Paul gets super annoyed by a woman who's being exploited. He gets super annoyed by a woman who's possessed with a, de a demonic spirit that allows her to predict the future and she's just harassing him. And Paul, being annoyed, casts out this demon and all the people who are exploiting her for money get really mad. And they actually throw Paul in prison. And they beat him senselessly. His first encounter with Philippi is being beaten senseless and thrown in prison. And yet, something incredible happens. God, through an earthquake, miraculously breaks open the doors of the prison and all the chains that are holding them to get, uh, and bound come breaking off and falling off, and they're all free to go. But they don't go anywhere. And the jailer in Acts chapter 16 discovers that the prison's open, and he thinks, I'm a dead man. I've failed at my duty. They're going to kill me. And he goes to throw himself on his own sword, and Paul stops him. Hold on. Stop. We're all here. Let me tell you what God has done. 
And this jailer in Acts chapter 16, him and his entire family get converted and begin to believe in Jesus and become the very church that Paul is now writing to in Philippians. Think of that. The very people who imprisoned Paul are the ones he's now writing to. And here in a moment, we're going to see that he's still in prison, though no longer in Philippi. Now at the time, approximately 62 AD, when Paul writes this letter, he's under house arrest in Rome, which house arrest sounds kind of nice, right? Much better than a prison where you might be chained to a wall and cold and, and maybe underfed. No, house arrest wasn't that great because house arrest literally meant any given day when the emperor finally decided to get around to your case, he could determine just like that whether or not you should be free to go or be put to death. So you literally lived every day thinking, today I might be executed, or maybe I'll live till tomorrow. And it's in this context that Paul writes to the people in Philippi. And he begins, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he continues, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul, he writes in a very classic Roman style, a Greco-Roman style in which you begin with a greeting and then a thanksgiving. Here's why I'm glad to write to you. And then after the thanksgiving comes, here's the main thing I'm going to expand. Here's the thing I want you to hear. We'll get to that thesis thing next time, next week. For now, I just want us to focus on this thanksgiving. Paul, he begins writing to these people, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul, as he begins to write to the very people who imprisoned him, says, I am thankful for you. Each and every time I think of you, each and every time I pray for you, I am thankful. Why? because of your partnership in the gospel. See, if you don't know anything about Paul's life, Paul was at one point a Jew of all Jews. And by that I mean what he himself says elsewhere is that he was really, really good at doing all the right things. He came from the right family. He had the right upbringing. He knew the right stuff. He persecuted the right people. He prayed the right prayers. He had all of his faith put together in this perfect package that looked wonderful. And then God broke in and Jesus showed up and called out to him, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Paul, who was formerly called Saul, realized everything he'd been doing was a man-made faith. Something built upon building himself up. But what he was actually called to was to lay himself down to become less so that God would become more through him. And he began to travel around to preach this good news, this gospel to other people. 
Now, the idea of gospel, we live in the Bible Belt, so you've probably heard it a hundred times. You know what the gospel is in our culture today. It literally means good news, and we often equate the gospel with the salvation we have in Jesus. But gospel, or good news, was nothing new to the Greco-Roman world. In fact, every time a Caesar, an emperor, this leader, and their God would die, and a new one would be appointed, they would appoint messengers to travel all throughout the empire to proclaim this good news. Behold, you have a new Lord, a new king, a new person sitting on the throne. This is the good news. It'll be okay. You'll have peace because Caesar sits on the throne. Augustus sits on the throne. Nero sits on the throne. If you know anything about history, Nero was anything but peaceful and anything but good. But the people, as they traveled around, these messengers would proclaim this gospel to the entire world. And Paul, after encountering Jesus, is given a new gospel, a new good news to go and proclaim. This good news that Jesus has broken in, that God himself has come in the flesh, become man for you and for me, that he suffered and died and on the third day rose again. And because he rose again, forevermore he will sit on the throne. And no longer does it matter which king or emperor or lord this world may have, we have a king who will forevermore give us grace and peace, who will forevermore protect us and guard us. We have a king who will never change, a king who's conquered death. And Paul, in proclaiming this good news, stirred up a lot of trouble. You can imagine, if you were the one sitting on the throne or hoping to advance to a new position of leadership, and somebody comes along and says, I have a king who will always sit on the throne. I have a king who's greater than this world, who's conquered death itself. You can imagine the message that might stir, the fear that might create, the people who would be opposed to that. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, immediately after being in Philippi as he leaves, Paul actually gets arrested again because he's stirring up trouble, proclaiming a different king. And Paul, he says he's filled with joy and thankful. And he's thankful for these people because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, Paul is given this important message to proclaim, this hope for the whole world, this peace that surpasses every understanding, this peace and this joy and this grace for you and for me. But he can't proclaim this message alone. Paul can't do the work that he's doing without the support of others. So he writes that he's filled with joy because of their partnership. Because of the way in which you came alongside me and helped me live out and proclaim this message. Because of the way you were a part of my journey and my experience and my mission to share with the world this love that God has. Because of that, I'm filled with joy. And he continues. It is right for me. Oh wait, no, in verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
Not only is he thankful for them, he says this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And I love this encouragement to the people. You see, the people in Philippi are trying to be faithful and to be the church in a world and a culture that doesn't always love the church. Trying to be faithful to love Jesus in a world that actually doesn't always love those who loves Jesus. They're trying to partner and proclaim this good news to a world so desperately in need of it, but a world that's not always interested in it. And Paul, he writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's easy in my life, for me at least, to see God doing something really good when things are going well. But when things aren't going well, where are you, God? What are you doing right now? And Paul, he says, he who began a good work, he's going to finish it. He continues in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul, he's writing to this church, and he has a deep-seated love for them. Not just because he knows them personally, but because they have shared with him this journey of sharing the love of God with the world. They've joined him on this journey and said, we want to be a part of this with you. And we know from other places that some of their partnership was financial and others was by sending gifts like a coat to help him out and other things that they did was pray for him and encourage him. There was all kinds of ways they partnered but he's thankful. And he says, I know that you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see, to live this life of sharing the gospel, here in the South, that often means like what I call Bible beating, right? Let's talk, let's go find a stranger and just say, do you know who Jesus is? That's weird. I, I, don't recommend it. I mean, you can, but it usually doesn't work, at least not for me. But, but oftentimes, sharing the gospel means intentionally living in such a way that the very way you treat the people around you makes something about you desirable and different and unique. In fact, what's going to unfold in the rest of this letter, he says later that his goal is that they would live a life worthy of the gospel. Live in such a way that this good news you speak is not just something that comes off of your mouth, but is who you are. That in a world that's falling apart, you stand firm with hope, with joy in the midst of suffering. Paul, he says, you are all partakers of grace because of my imprisonment. Because they were there with him when he suffered, he knows for sure they will be with him when things are going well. I'm going to come back to that here in a moment. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Paul, he ends this introduction by saying, it's my prayer that you would be filled with love. That your love would abound more and more. Of all the things he could hope for, of all the things he could desire, a church that's faced persecution and has a whole lot more coming soon, look, my hope is that you could just see love abound more and more. That you could grow with knowledge and all discernment to know what is excellent, what is good, how to live when the world is really tough, how to be faithful when everybody else is faithless. This is my prayer for you. That you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. The very work that Jesus does in us produces in us transformation. We say here, almost every week, you're welcome to come as you are. And we believe we'd be doing a huge disservice to tell you to stay that way. I don't mean you're imperfect and and like a total hot mess right now, though maybe you are. That's okay. No, but I mean Jesus is big enough and great enough that however you come in, he wants to do something new with you. This fruit of righteousness is described elsewhere as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you lacking any of those things? I think it's no accident that the very fruits of the Spirit begin with love, and Paul's prayer for them is that they would grow in love. See, when we begin to grow in love for ourselves, for our neighbor, for our enemies, when we begin to grow in love for this world around us, everything else follows. And I believe Jesus loves you exactly the way you are. And he loves you way too much to keep you there. It's his desire that you, like the church in Philippi, would grow, that this good work begun in you would come to completion, that you would change, not because you need to get better and fix your life, but because he's really faithful and has good things in store for you. It's Paul's deep desire that they would grow in love to the glory of God. And I think where I want to come back to this idea of him in prison and their partnership, I think for many of us, we don't see the kind of growth we want. Maybe you've set out this year with New Year's resolutions and you've already broken them. Anybody? I mean, we're three days in. There's plenty of time. If not, wait till the end of the day. You set out with this goal, 2020's behind me. That year was rough and this year will be better. Will it? I don't know. I don't know what this year will hold. Quite frankly, neither do you. But Paul, he writes about his imprisonment and the joy that comes from their partnership. Even when he was in prison, literally in shackles and chains because of the life he was living and the things he was proclaiming. And I wonder if part of the reason many of us fail at our New Year's resolutions or we get to December and we don't like who we have been this year and we hope next year looks different And I wonder if part of the reason many of us struggle to grow and change and become somebody new and experience God in every aspect of life is because we try to do it without partnership. 
We try to do it on our own, in our strength, in our ability. But here's the thing. As you grow in this life that God has for you, it will get difficult. In fact, Jesus warned this. He said, anybody who wants to follow me must take up their cross and follow me. No, he doesn't mean your fancy necklace or your cool artwork. Quite literally, anybody who wants to walk in my way, to be like me, to do what I've done, you will suffer at the hands of the world around you. Are you ready for that? Maybe this suffering that is coming is suffering of giving up a lifestyle this world says is good. Maybe the suffering that's coming requires giving up your time to say, I'm going to grow this year and it will be hard. Maybe the suffering that you and I will experience is other people reviling us because we don't look or think or act like them. It's highly unlikely, though certainly possible, that you and I will physically be imprisoned because of the gospel. But nonetheless, there will be hardships to come. And when we try to grow and change and become who God made us to be on our own, without partnerships, when these hardships come, I don't believe you'll be able to endure them. I don't believe I'd be able to endure them. See, we weren't made to endure hardship and suffering alone. As we go through this book, you're going to see Paul repeatedly comes back to this idea that we are in this together. Are we? See, I wonder for you and me, if we want 2021 to look different than 2020, what if this year the thing we need different is a different group of people around us? to support us and pray for us and encourage us. And when life gets really hard, to be the ones to say, it's okay, we can do this together. So this is what I want to ask you today. Who partners with you in your life? Like who can you honestly say is helping you when days are tough? Trust in God. Who's challenging you to grow when you don't want to? Who can you call when everything's falling apart and say, I need you today? If you don't have those people right now on the tips of your your tongue and, and the front of your mind, this is my prayer for you. Maybe this year is the year to find those partners. Or maybe this year's the year to be that partner. That one who can stand and support and pray and encourage somebody else and see good things come to them, even as you're suffering. And I believe for you and I, as we partner together in the gospel, in living out this life of love, our love will abound more and more, not only for each other, but also for our world that doesn't yet know how much they're loved. This is my prayer and my hope for you and me, that this year we can partner in the gospel and love Knoxville like we've never loved before. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good and faithful. You are just and loving. God, we thank you that Paul was called to this place 
that proclaimed all kinds of lords and gods other than you. God, we thank you that he came to love the very people who threw him in prison. God, we thank you that through this church, you brought great joy and strength to Paul. Lord, we ask that you would make us good partners in the gospel. That we would seek one or two people we can pour our time and our energy into loving and supporting and encouraging in this difficult journey. God, that we might find those one or two people who do the same for us. I ask this, this year, Lord, that 2021 would be a year where our love would abound more and more, first for you and then for one another, and finally, that our love would overflow into this city, our home, that you would strengthen us and equip us for every good work, that we would be filled with grace and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every week as we gather, we take a moment to collect an offering. And over the last six months, we've not been passing the bucket, uh, but we still collect an offering. The last uh, couple of weeks, maybe six or so, we've been talking about something called Cultivate Community. And for those of you who are brand new, our goal, our prayer for 2021 is that we can create a strong and healthy community of friends here in this church, that you can have people you can turn to any day of the week, not just on Sunday morning. But not only this, that we can look out to our future and use this new space that we're in to prepare to pave the way to be rent-free by creating opportunities for the rest of our community to come and be here as well. And then out of that, we hope and pray to go into our community, our city of Knoxville, and to serve in new ways and connect with people in new ways. And I'm really excited. We set a goal of raising $30,000 before the end of the year, as well as having 100% participation from people who call this church home, which means people who say, this is my family. I want to partner in every way with this church. Here's a really cool thing, church. We aim to raise $30,000, and last Sunday I shared that we were at it about seventeen or 18000 and maybe 17 or 18% of the way there. But today I can tell you, we are over 100% of our goal. Yeah. In the last week, in the last week, you guys collectively stood up and said, we want to do something in our city. And we're just a little bit shy of $31,000 raised and 60% participation. That means most of you have said in the last week, we want to be a part of what God is doing through the point in this city. So I want to say thank you. Today, as we collect an offering, this is just going to go to our general offering, but our offering is not so that we get any special favor from God. Our offering, whether it's a really small one, which may be a big one for you, that's okay, or whether it's a really large gift, our offering is an opportunity to say, God, I want to continue to partner with you by trusting you with my finances, by saying, I want to support the work you're doing and be a part of it, not only with my time and with the things you've gifted me with and talent, but also with my finances, my money. So if you came prepared today to give an offering, if you would like to do so, we're not passing the popcorn buckets. 
which for those of you who don't know, that's because we used to be in a movie theater and we just moved last year here. Uh, But they are in the back corner. You can put a gift in those buckets as you leave, cash or check, or you can give online at thepointknox.com. However you give, know this. We give not to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. And now it's the part where we get to respond to your questions as best as I can. Yes, um, there are some doozies this week, so uh, buckle up. I'll start with an easy one. Uh, The song selection today was on point. I agree. Yeah, well done. Yeah, Um, but I wanted to say that because um, if there ever is a song that you connect with or you want to hear again, uh, if you go to thepointknox.com and scroll down to Church Online where we have all the rest of the resources, there is a link to a Spotify playlist that always has the songs from Sunday. So check it out jam all week. I didn't know that. Thank you. That was the hardest question. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right. So next question. He's coming again. What does that mean? Yeah. So the church has for 2000 years heard the words of Jesus where he said he would come back uh, and believed them. And the church has looked forward to his coming. And there's been a lot of debate about what his coming will look like. And that's not a new debate. It's been there for a while, like 1900 years or so. But I will say, uh, he is coming in, in, in the flesh, like physical. We can touch him and hug him and stuff. When he's coming, I don't know. How he's coming, I'm not sure. But when he comes, it'll be really great for you and I and all who have faith in him. All right. Um, so next question. Do we believe Jesus went to literal hell or a symbolic one as a condition of his human suffering? And why is it important to believe whichever one? Um, these are doozies. I told you, and there's more. So let me tell you, this specific question has for 1,700 years been debated in the church, and they still don't have a solid answer. It just depends on which group you're talking to. So um, is it important we have a definite yes or no, one or the other? No, I don't think so, because I don't have a definite yes or no, one or the other. Is there an actual physical hell Yes, it's not just an emotional state or a spiritual thought. No, it's a real thing. Did Jesus descend to hell? Well, that's based on really one or two verses in the New Testament. That might mean he descended to hell. It might mean he descended to earth. So the church is really not so sure. Um, Where we stand in this place is we say that he did descend into hell, not to suffer for us or with us, but rather to proclaim to all who died before, all who were captive, that he's conquered the grave, and that there would be this resurrection to come for them. So I think he did, but what it means, I'm not entirely sure. All right, continuing with doozies. Is it true the Greek word Paul uses in verse one, doulos, I'm assuming is how you say that, can mean servant, but also slave. That's pretty strong language. What should we take away from Paul referring to himself as a servant or slave of Christ? Wow, I think you've been sneaking a peek at my notes for what's to come. Um, It's true. That word does mean both servant and slave. Um, First off, slavery was a very different thing to them than it is to us. And that most people in slavery were not kidnapped and forced with no opportunity of getting out. And it wasn't a racially motivated thing. Most of the time, slavery in the Old Testament and New Testament, and even in that culture, was a way of paying off debt, like indentured servanthood. So imagine considering yourself today, if you have student loans and you've never imagined ever getting out of that debt, feeling like a slave to your boss because you have to continue to work so you can pay a debt you 
can't ever seem to get out of, right? That's kind of more the idea. So that's one note. Um, but second, why does Paul use the language of slave or servant? In other letters, he begins Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, right? He begins with his authority that he has and why he's writing them. But as we'll see in the chapters to come, he starts with servant or slave very intentionally because the whole rest of Philippians talks about how living the gospel requires humility and becoming less that we can make more of God. And so living the gospel is not about your status or your authority or the way people perceive you. It's about becoming a servant to everybody. And we'll get there with how we do that. (laughs) All right, only two questions left. Um, This one says, the mark of the beast pause for dramatic effects. Is it known what that mark is? Is there a chance we could get the mark and not know it? Is there like scary music we could turn on right now just for the, okay, no. Again, this is a matter of interpretation and the church has not been unified on this really ever. Uh, Some believe it's a symbolic thing that's not a literal actual thing. That's where I kind of land. Others believe it's an actual thing that's coming soon. And so those who believe it's an actual literal thing that's happening soon, there's been perpetually a speculation of what's that mark going to be. Everything from it's a tattoo to it's a microchip to all sorts of crazy things throughout history. This is the mark of the beast. Um, I would say the simplest solution is if you've been baptized and you believe that Jesus died not for other people, but for you, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. (laughs) All right, last question. And he did die for other people too, but I mean specifically believing that you also are able to be forgiven. Good clarifier, yeah. yeah. Um, would the point consider ask, consider, hold on, I think, hold on. Would the point consider asking volunteers to wear masks? Yes, we consider it literally every week. Uh, in fact, we always ask in this time of pandemic to consider wearing a mask. Um, we ask not just volunteers, but everybody. While it's not mandated here, I think it's a helpful thing to, if it doesn't do anything for the virus, it at least alleviates fear and anxiety for people who aren't so sure. So if you're able to wear a mask, if you're willing to wear a mask, even if it's super uncomfortable and you don't like it, uh, like me, I don't like it, especially the longer my beard gets, the worse wearing a mask is. Um, I was in Minnesota this last week and really enjoyed the mask. It was nice and warm. It's, it, it was great. Yeah, when it's below, like, freezing yeah. by 20, 30 degrees, of course. Horrible. It was the worst. Um, so we don't require it in this place, but we do ask that you be considerate of others. So if you don't want to wear a mask or you're not able to wear a mask, we ask you try to do your part to keep a, a distance and practice social distancing and just respect other people who might be wearing a mask and be a little concerned. All right? So... Yes, we do ask it. Yes, we do consider it. But no, we don't require it. Um, though when we do communion and other things, we try to require it for that. So, yeah. Uh, you're always welcome to text in questions. If they come in during the week, I will respond to them on Wednesday night on Facebook. Um, otherwise, I'll respond to them next Sunday morning at the end of the service. And you can catch those either in person or uh, on live stream. Thank you for being here today. Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. 
If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.